But I want to start out with this morning making a confession to you all. Uh, over the course of the last two months, my wife and I have been watching all of the Marvel movies in chronological order. We've only have gotten about eight movies in, but it's, uh, it's, it's been pretty exciting. I think one of the reasons why we enjoy not only the Marvel movies, but just any good story is because of the characters, right? It's the characters that keep you involved. It's the characters that keep you invested in, in what's happening. You can expect that any good story is going to have a development of these characters. These characters aren't going to stay the same. There's clear plot and motives. And then, of course, there's rising conflict. And it's kind of fun to watch the rising conflict, which creates tension. Where is this going to go? That tension ultimately is going to lead to a climax in the stories where the characters see their ultimate growth, and then we see resolution from the story. And so then, of course, after the story is over, then, uh, then you go and you find another story. But every good story creates tension. There's a level of uncertainty of what is going to happen next in the story. You're not sure where it's going. If it's too predictable, then you know you really don't want to watch this movie because you know where it's going. If it's too convoluted, you have no idea what anybody is doing and you turn it off. So a good story creates intrigue through the uncertainty of the characters. What draws most of us into these stories is the uncertainty of what's going to happen next. Obviously, we know that in most stories, the main character is going to be okay, but we just don't know how he's going to be okay or how she's going to be okay. Um, but what happens when we have that same uncertainty that we see in our stories that are applied to our own lives? I was sitting at my desk last year in the midst of, of everything happening, and I was faced with just the uncertainty of the pandemic, the uncertainty of our nation. And honestly, it led me to being confused, anxious, fearful of what's going to happen next, not just on a global level, but just on a personal level. What does life look like for me in the future? This uncertainty led to fear. And so rather than being someone reading and watching that rising conflict happen in another story, it's happening not just to me, but to everyone. And I got to say, that rising conflict is not as fun to, be, to, to read about. But I know I'm not alone in just this, the state of, of anxiousness, the state of uh, hesitancy of what's going to happen. There's a lot that is concerning that we see in our world. We're not sure of the future. We're unsure of the present. We're uncertain of what life is going to look like moving forward. For some of us, this uncertainty creates fear, fear of the unknown, fear of, of suffering, fear to be uncomfortable, fear of loss of life, fear of, of all kinds of things. And so some of us try to control our situations to make our situations better. We try to change the outcome to our desired results. The reality is, is we're only able to control so much in our life. We're not able to remove the uncertainty of what's going to happen tomorrow. As we think about the future, as we think about our present state of lives, it kind of raises a question, how do we move forward? What is the next thing for us? This is why we're in the summer series, Psalms, in midst the busyness of our life 
amidst the, the, the confusion and in some cases panic happening and setting in in our world, it's important for us to slow down, important to us, for us to reflect and contemplate on who God is and how he offers us his strength and his power to face each day. Today we're in Psalm 46, and it's attributed to the sons of Korah, a branch of Levites that led temple worship. Some scholars believe that Psalm 46 was written at a time when Israel was facing severe hardship. Jerusalem was under siege by the nation of Assyria, which you can read about in 2 Kings 18 and 19 and 2 Chronicles 32. But this story shows that the people of Israel are trapped with no way of escape. They are facing their impending destruction by an enemy. They were unable to muster an army. They were attempted to recruit Egypt to aid, and and that fell through. They attempted to buy off the Assyrian army, and they only took the money and continued to invade Israel. And so everything that the Israelites did in their own power and their own strength made the situation worse. And so for them, they were facing a huge amount of uncertainty on the state of their lives. But the story goes that once the people stopped relying on their own selves, that they turned to God and then they found the strength, and they found deliverance. And so Psalm 46 is written after that siege of Jerusalem. And the psalm shows us that God alone is the one who delivers his people from trouble, that he alone is the one who eases our affliction, and he alone is worthy of all praise and honor in our lives. So the people of God are invited to experience God's presence regardless of what we're facing. It starts by saying, God is our refuge and strength, very present help in in trouble. Many of the psalms begin in a place of crisis, but this psalm begins focusing on God's provision. In a time of help and crisis, God's presence provides shelter for those in need. The people of Israel found God to be a refuge and strength at a time that they needed him the most. This idea of refuge is that God is a dependable hiding place, a shelter, a place of protection for his people when everything around us seems to be falling apart. We've seen images of refugees fleeing war-torn cities, war-torn nations in pursuit of relief, in pursuit of safety, in pursuit of a better life. And so God is saying that he is that shelter for all people who are hurting, all people who are broken, all people who are lost and are seeking shelter and relief from the tremendous amount of pain that we are experiencing. Psalm 46 is an invitation for us to taste and see how good God is through his refuge. So we see throughout not just this psalm, but all of the psalms, that God surrounds us with himself, giving us his strength, giving us his patience to face each day, and that it's God's presence that becomes our strength that we need. This is who God is. He is a refuge, a strong tower, a place for the rest, or a place of rest for the weary. So turning to God It comes as a result of trusting him, recognizing that he alone is able to provide the solutions to the problems that we're facing, regardless of how difficult that they may may be. 
I was talking to a gal in my life group who works 12 to 16 hours a day. She comes home to two high-energy children, and she's knowing that she's depleted of all of her energy, knowing that she's depleted of everything she has. She says that she stops in her car, and she doesn't say, Lord, give me strength. She says, Lord, be my strength. Be my patience. And so she prayed because she knew that she wasn't able to love her kids out of her own patience, out of her own strength, and she needed God's patience through that. And so what the psalm is teaching us is that when we turn to God in our time of need, he becomes a refuge for us. He becomes a shelter for us. And because of all this, we find profound truth in verse 2. It says, therefore, we will not fear. One of the most repeated commands throughout all of the Bible is do not fear. Yet here in Psalm 46, this isn't a command. This is a state of being. He goes on, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Because of God's presence providing uh, shelter for us, we have no fear when life becomes tumultuous, when life becomes difficult, when life becomes confusing and, and challenging. Even when we are faced with the worst scenarios possible on an individual level, on a national level, on a global level, God is in control of all of these things. He's not surprised by these things. And so he's telling us his strength becomes our strength when we face these challenges, but it's only possible when we make him our refuge. If God is our refuge during difficult times, that's when we find just tremendous strength to face whatever's coming our way. See, we see that our circumstances may change, but our sovereign Lord never changes. And this is God's presence providing a shelter to us in our time of need. He's in control of all things natural and supernatural. So the psalmist, still focusing on the presence of God, shifts to talk about God's dwelling place, the temple in Jerusalem, in verse 4. There is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. The, he depicts an abundant river flowing through Jerusalem, providing an abundance of life. And the psalmist is saying that God's presence brings peace. In the ancient world, a river produced peace and life and security for the inhabitants of the city. It served as an additional fortification when they were under siege. One of the concerns when you are under siege is, do I have food? Do I have water? Having a natural river source provides one of those two questions where you know that you will have water, that you will not be uh, thirsty under siege. And so the temple is where God's people came to worship. And so the temple, the, the, in, in the Psalm 46, the picture is that the temple has a river flowing from it. And so this is the center of every part of religious activity in the Old Testament. People would go to worship God. They would go to commune with the holy and personable God. They would go to make sacrifice. And so for the temple, or for the Old Testament believer, the temple was everything. Yet what we find interesting about this picture is that Jerusalem is in the middle of an arid desert. 
It was one of the few ancient cities that didn't have a river flowing through it. Yet the psalmist just said that, this, that God's presence produces a river flowing through it. And so there was what was common in, old, in the Old Testament was that the prophets envisioned a day when there would be a mighty river flowing from the temple itself. And we find this picture in Revelation 22.1. And it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. For both the prophet and the psalmist, they anticipated a day when God's complete presence shakes the foundations of Jerusalem, where he is able to dwell with his people without any hindrance of sin. He is able to dwell with his people fully and completely and not as a place to go, but that he would dwell with his people. And so we see that God's Father, or God the Father and God the Son, produce this river that is flowing out of the temple directly. And what the psalmist is saying that God is the source of protection. God is the source of life. God is the source of peace. And this peace that he offers people is not a peace that comes through war, but is a peace that comes through his presence. That is a peace that is unlike any peace that we have experienced in our world. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The people of God are not moved because God's presence is among them. God's presence is dwelling them or dwelling with them. The picture we get in the morning is dawning as God shows his deliverance through the worst part of the life that we're experiencing. Doesn't it seem like in the middle, at nighttime is the time that our brains are running, our, our fear is, is heightened, and we're just left alone just anticipating what destruction is going to come in the morning? And yet the psalmist is saying that when the morning dawns, God is with her. God will help his people. Regardless of what we are experiencing, God's presence brings us deliverance, resulting in peace and joy for our lives. Even though God dwells with his people, we must still be diligently pursuing him, making him our refuge, seeking him, drawing near him, and resting in him. And so uh, the victory is not guaranteed because God dwells with his people, but the victory is guaranteed because God is the one who delivers and brings peace. Really, we need to be delivered because there's always War. There's always something happening in our world. And he continues, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. Psalmist is highlighting that a world has always been at war. As far back as human history goes, there's always been nations fighting against nations. There have been nations fighting itself. You don't have to look far in human history to see that War has been happening in every generation. We have a lot to be concerned about as, as nations, but there's nothing that is stable. There always seems to be nations always on the brink of collapse. Just even thinking about this last year, just a tremendous societal unrest with everything happening. Some people are even talking about the next civil war coming. We have a lot to be concerned about here in this nation. We have a lot to be concerned with what our nation looks like in the next few years. That there's this, that this, this shouldn't surprise us that the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. 
Yet God is not surprised by the state of the world, the state of the of nations, the state of our lives. In fact, the rest of verse 6 says this. It says, he utters his voice and the earth melts. The same God who speaks life into existence is the same God who speaks to end war. The same God who speaks and, and tribulation stops, persecution stops. It is, is the same God whose voice calms the storms that are brewing in our world. The psalmist is saying that God reigns sovereign over all things, including nations, including our lives, including what is happening. So the people of God, we, the only way for us to experience true and lasting peace is because of the sovereignty of God. Regardless of what is happening in our lives, we have peace fighting the turmoil in our lives because God is the one who brings peace. And this peace surpasses all understanding, which guards our hearts and our minds because God, not us, is in control of the world. That this, just, this picture that the psalmist is giving is that God brings peace. He is the one that brings peace, not through war, not through conquest, but through his presence in our lives. But now how do we actually experience God's presence? And this is where we find the two most important verses in, in this psalm. Psalm 7, or, uh, verse 7, verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's so important that the psalmist repeats it two times. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. These two verses are saying the exactly same thing, that God is with us. God is both a refuge for the people of God and for the individual believer of God. As we see um, the name given, God, the, is, <laughs> the name that is given to God here is the Lord of hosts. So this picture is the one who commands the armies of heaven is the God who is with us. And this same picture this, that is given is God of perfect glory and power and might. We should think of or right in your, in your margin, Revelation, see Revelation 19 where we see Christ in his perfect glory coming to end the battle at the end of the age and all of the host of, 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 the, of the enemy have risen up against the Lord and he just steps out and he speaks a word and the battle is over. This is the picture that we have of God with us, one of perfect glory, power, and might. He is sovereign over all things. Everything in our world, everything in our lives, he is going to subject it to his will and his timing. But we not only have a powerful picture of God in these two verses, but we also have a picture of a relational God. He's not just a God in power, but he's a God of relationship. He desires to be in relationship with us as we see the God of Jacob is our fortress. If you know anything about Jacob in the Old Testament, he was an unsavory character. Yet God loved him. God pursued him. 
God loved Jacob in spite of the many foibles in his life. And the same God loves us regardless of what is happening in our lives, regardless of how messed up our lives is. So the prophet Isaiah ascribes the name coming of Messiah, and he says that God will become, and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God has always wanted to dwell among his people, yet sin has always wanted to separate us from God's presence. But this idea that God with us is that God is going to dwell with us and not just in a temple where only certain people can interact with God, but that God is going to dwell, take on flesh. This is obviously talking about Christ. So Jesus came to earth to take on flesh, to take on our sin. He dwelt among us and he did that so that we could be restored in a relationship with him. And so through Christ's death and through Christ's resurrection, we are redeemed and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We are united with Christ and we have the ability to dwell with Christ in a way that the Old Testament saints did not. You see, the Jerusalem, the, the temple in Jerusalem was where God had placed his dwelling. That was where he chose to make his dwelling. And, and so the, in the Old Testament, if you were a, a believer, you had very limited access to God the Father. You could only go to the temple three times a year to sacrifice. You could only do certain things to only have a, 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 a brief glimpse into the presence of God. Yet through Christ taking on human flesh, giving us the Holy Spirit, we have access to God the Father at all times. If you have placed your faith in Christ, you have unlimited access to God the Father at any time in your life. We can rest in the fact that Christ is working in us and through us. He is accomplishing his will. The beautiful thing about Christ taking on human flesh is that there's nothing special that we have to do for Christ to come into our lives. We just simply have to believe in the hope and the power of the resurrection. If the Old Testament people were able to find refuge in God in times of trouble, how much more we who are united to Christ in every way possible find God's presence for our lives, for our troubles, for our concerns, for our worries? for our fears, for our anxiety, for our troubles in our life. We are able to have peace and the power and the strength through Christ dwelling in us. And we have to just simply make Christ our refuge, coming to him in our time of need, seeking him through his word, through his people, and through his prayer. But this is what the psalmist wants us to know, is that we've uh, to find that we are to find refuge in Christ by trusting in him alone. God wants us to find refuge in him. God wants us to rest in him. This is why there's a constant invitation to us to come to him, to rest in him, to seek him, and he will be found. This is what one of the ministries of Christ that he does is he is a refuge for all of those who are longing to him in their deepest and darkest times of need, in their times of desperation, in their times of shame. And he provides 
them with his refuge. When we come to him in faith, um, we have God's presence which brings power. Look at verse 8. Come, behold. This word behold means to see, to witness the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Remember how I told you that the people of, Jerusalem, the people of Israel were trapped in Jerusalem with no way out. The people were facing certain destruction as Jerusalem was besieged on all sides by the enemy. There was a high levels of fear and anxiety among the people. Yet in that story, we see in their deepest time of need, they turn to God, praying for deliverance. And this is what happened in 2 Kings 19.35. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. When people arose early in the morning... Behold, these were all dead bodies. It's a very graphic scene. But what the people of Israel didn't do is they did not fight. They were, they couldn't fight. And so this displays God's sheer power alone, that nothing compares to the power and the might of Christ. He speaks Storms are quieted. He desolates the desolators. He breaks tools of war that nothing and no one can stand against him. There's no cancer, no addiction, no broken relationships, no sin. Nothing can stop the power of God working in our lives. And this is the power residing in the people of God. Even greater power is this. And so it doesn't matter what we're facing. When Christ, is, when Christ is our refuge, he is our strength. He is our help in time of need. Through our suffering, through our heartache, we're able to find joy in the midst of trials. We know that while we are in the midst of our battles, that we have peace because we know that Christ is going to be victorious over whatever we're facing. Whether that is personally, whether that is nationally, whether that is globally, because of Christ's resurrection, we have nothing to fear. I think of my sister-in-law who passed away two years ago. She was diagnosed with a terminal lung condition, giving her only three years to live. She was easily one of, the per, one of the people that I knew suffered the most. She suffered physically as it was hard for her to catch her breath. If she did any f- f- form of activity, she would be drained of, of her energy and she would have to catch her breath for a while. She had multiple surgeries just so she had the ability to live. And um, she also suffered emotionally as, as one of her greatest desires in life was to be a mom. And uh, because of her health condition, doctors didn't believe she could survive childbirth. So in light of all of this suffering in her life, she was possibly one of the most joyful people I knew, even though she had this terminal lung condition. 
I believe she was joyful simply because of the fact that she made Christ her refuge. The resurrection power was living through her where she had peace, where she had joy, even though she knew that tomorrow could be her last day on earth. I think because of the fact that she found refuge in Christ, that Christ turned all of those things that were causing her sorrow into things that were causing her joy. I think specifically about the fact that uh, she, didn't, she wasn't able to have kids, but she ended up having stepkids. She had, ended up having nieces and nephews and students who loved her like she was their mom. She loved them equally. But most importantly, she, God gave her tremendous strength and patience to face each day that she, even when she could have given up, she didn't because of the strength that was residing in her. I believe because she made Christ her refuge, Christ gave her 15 years of a vibrant, joyful life, but not three. This isn't the case for everybody, but when, when we turn to Christ, our refuge, we have strength, we have his patience, we have his, his ability to process whatever we're going through. We have peace. We have his presence surrounding us. When we make Christ our refuge, we are going to see Christ do tremendous things in our life. So find refuge in Christ by trusting him with everything. How do we do that today? I have two ways to find refuge in Christ this morning. The first is that we wait on the Lord. Too often we strive to do things out of our own strength and our own ability, out of our own wisdom. And don't get me wrong, God has given us those things to use, but we are not to rely on them as the solution for our problems. We think if I don't do these things, that I, if I can't accomplish things by my own power, then I'm not going to succeed in life. But the reality is, is that we can't overcome anything in life by our own strength. We need Christ's power in us. So it starts by us not trying to fix things in our life, in our world. But this is what the psalmist says in verse 10. He says, be still. I love how the Christian Standard Bible translates this. It says, stop fighting and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Do you see who gets the glory? Not me, but Christ in me. If we're striving to live out our own strength and our own abilities, we miss out on the power and the peace and the strength that only comes from knowing Christ. We're not able to see or understand the power and the sovereignty of God in our world, and we are left in fear. Waiting on the Lord doesn't mean that we don't take action and we don't obey, but it does mean that all of our action comes first from our waiting on him, depending on him, trusting him with the outcomes of our lives, of our situations. I want to encourage you to take time this week, just a prayer to bring God all of your concerns, all of your fears, all of your uncertainties of the futures, and pray with a posture with your hands open. 
This is signifying that you are giving these things to the Lord, that you are trusting him. That you are letting go of these things and you are trusting him with the outcome. But take time to be still before the Lord, trusting that his ways are not our own, that his ways are above our own and that he will get the glory. The second thing I have for you is remember that the Lord is with you. After waiting on the Lord, I want you to be intentional to remember that God is present with you. We are a forgetful people. Many of us in this room don't even remember what we had for breakfast yesterday. We tend to forget that God is with us, that we need to do all of these things by ourselves. And our life is constantly moving. We are constantly doing things. It's important for the people of God to slow down and remember to to make God our dwelling place, to make God our to make Christ our refuge. Why? Because often we feel isolated. We feel alone. We feel like we are too broken that God can love us. Too often we feel rejected by our friends, by our family. And some of us are still dealing with the abandonment of our parents, of loved ones. Yet God promises this in Deuteronomy 31.8. And I want to encourage you to write this down, to memorize it, to make it a daily prayer. This is what it says. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. See, David said that he hid God's word in his heart so that he wouldn't sin against him. But we can also memorize scripture to protect our mind and heart in forgetting of who God is. And so I want to encourage you just to to remember that the Lord is with you in those times of isolation, in those times of loneliness. Quote this to yourself. Reflect what it means personally for you. If you have placed your faith in Christ, he is never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. And we are able to see that what God's heart is for you, how he loves you, and what his promises are for you. The power of God that spoke creation into existence is the same power that speaks, and the battle is over in your life. We have that peace that Christ is going to reign victorious, and this is the same power residing in all who have put their, their faith in God. He is the God who desires to know him, experiencing his unending goodness when we make him our refuge. Find refuge in Christ by trusting in him alone. <laughs> 